What would you say of a judge who willingly and knowingly let a serial killer go free without any punishment? Would you want that judge removed from the bench? But what about us then? Are you comfortable with God allowing us to go free without paying the penalty of our sin? Well, we'll talk about this and so much more as we journey through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 on Through the Bible with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for another exciting adventure in God's Word. So, while you grab your seat, here's an email that we recently received from a listener who wishes to remain anonymous. It's such a pleasure to ride the Bible bus and also be a supporter of the journey. There is so much I enjoy about this ministry. Dr. McGee's witty personality and stories, the letters from around the world, the colorful name and concept of the Bible bus, the many ways to listen, hearing of Greg and Steve's tireless commitment to getting the word to the whole world, and of course God's unending faithfulness. But by far the most valuable thing about this ministry to me is how it has impacted my reading and understanding of God's Word. In 2012, I had been a Christian for over 10 years, and I was questioning all that I had been taught. I was seeking the truth regardless of what I or others I knew in the church might feel about it. I started listening to Dr. McGee with my Bible open. God showed me that I had previously not been taught the Word of God accurately. Therefore, my understanding was unfruitful, even dangerously off track. It was as exciting as salvation itself, being delivered from false teaching and reading and hearing the Word of God as it really is. God has anointed and blessed this teaching of His Word. Well, God's Word is indeed a powerful measuring stick. I'm so glad that this listener and each of you as well are on board with us each day. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth found in your Word. Would you open our hearts and minds to the deep treasures that you have for us? And may our love for you deepen and intensify with each chapter that we study. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now it's time for Ephesians 1 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today we see God the Son paid for the church. And first we have here, He redeemed us through His blood. Let me read verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, these verses here are actually like mountain peaks. We've just been leaping from one to the other. And I keep thinking, well, we're going to come to one where we can just touch down and then take off again. But it's not quite like that. This is so important and so vital for us today. Now, we are told here we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. He's redeemed us through his blood. Now, we move from eternity into time. Back in eternity past, God chose, God predestinated, made us accepted in the beloved. Now, we come out of eternity into time where the plans of God the Father are now placed in the hands of Christ, who moves into space and time to construct the church. And now it is a historical fact that Jesus was born into this world 1,900 years ago. God intruded into humanity. And there, after being in this earth for 33 years, he died upon a cross buried, rose again bodily, ascended into heaven. Those are the historical facts 
that the Word of God give us. And while he was here, he redeemed us. And he redeemed us through his blood. Now, this is something that's not popular today. The thing that most people like is a beautiful religion, one that appeals to their aesthetic nature. The cross of Christ does not appeal to the aesthetic part of man. It doesn't appeal to the pride of man. And unfortunately today that, well, of course, all the liberal churches, but even a few of the so-called Bible churches today make an appeal to the old nature, to man. And therefore, there is no emphasis on the blood of Christ. It's rather repulsive. lady went up years ago to the late Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. I'm told it was up in Philadelphia. And she was one of these dowagers that had a lorgnette. You know what a lorgnette is. It's a snare on the end of a stick. And she went up with that lorgnette and said to him, Dr. Morgan, I do not like to hear about the blood. It's repulsive to me. It offends my aesthetic nature. And Dr. Morgan looked at her in his characteristic manner, and he says, I agree with you that it's repulsive. But he says, the only thing repulsive about it is your sin and mine. That's the thing that's repulsive about the blood redemption and the forgiveness of sins, my friend. And then I'm told years ago that when a new pastor came to the great church in Washington, D.C., that a couple came down to him and said, we trust that you are not going to put too much emphasis on the blood. The last pastor we had, he just talked about the blood all the time, and we hope that you will not emphasize it too much. Oh, he looked at him and says, you can be assured, I won't emphasize it too much. And they said, look pleased and thanked him for it. He says, but just a minute. He says, you know, you can't emphasize it too much. And he continued to emphasize the blood. Well, it's repulsive to man. We have redemption through his blood. Now, the writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it's written of me to do thy will, O God, above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Now you see, God drew the blueprint for the church, and the Son, he comes into time to form the church with nail-pierced hands. 
and the entire context of the Old Testament sets forth the expiation of sins by the blood of an animal sacrifice. Yet this, as the writer to the Hebrews says here, could not take away sins. Only Christ could execute that. That's what Paul means. In whom, that is in Christ, we have our redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin according to the riches of his grace. Now, this is the one who's called the Beloved, accepted in the Beloved, that's Christ, and in whom we have redemption. Now, redemption is the primary work of Christ. Actually, the word is here, the redemption, in whom we have the redemption is the literal, and that gives prominence and position of the fact that it's named first. It's given top priority. That's what Christ did for us when he came to this earth. He made it that way. He said that. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, he came to pay a price for your redemption and mine. We were slaves in sin, and he came to pay a price to deliver us, to give us liberty. Now, there are three words that are found in the New Testament which are translated by the one English word, redemption. The word that is very important is the word agorazo. Now, that word agorazo, it really means to buy in the marketplace. That is the way that it is used. It means to buy in the marketplace. And the picture is this. Here goes a housewife out of a morning to the marketplace. She wants to buy some vegetables and a roast for the day. And she goes in and she sees the roast and the vegetables. She puts down cash on the barrel head and she pays the price. And now they belong to her, of course. In other words, the only thought in this word is just to buy and take out. That's the word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 6.20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. He went in and bought us out of the slave market. That is the word. And that's all this word means. Now there's another word that is used, and that is the Greek word ex agorazo. Now that means to buy it out of the market, and the thought there is to buy it for its own use. Now, you see, somebody could go into the marketplace and buy that roast and buy vegetables and go down to the next town where they're short of those items and put them up for sale for a price. But ex agorazo means to take it out of the marketplace and never to sell it again. It's not to be put up for sale anymore. And that's the thought that is in this word. And by the way, we find this word over in the third chapter of Galatians at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Now, that means that Christ not only redeemed us, but he redeemed us 
that we would not be exposed for sale again, that he paid the price and he's taken us off of the market. We're never to be exposed for sale again. Well, there is a third word, and this third word is apolutrosis. Now, apolutrosis is an altogether different word, you see, and that's the word that Paul uses here. We have redemption, and it's pretty important, by the way, I think, for us to see that, that we have redemption, and we have redemption through his blood. We are told, for instance, in Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, that's a marvelous word. It means not only to go into the marketplace, put cash on the barrel head. It means not only to take it out of the market to use for your own private use and never to sell it again, but it means now to set free, to pay a price and to set free. It means to liberate. When the ransom is paid, it means to buy out of slavery in order to set a person free. And this is the word that we have here. Now, man's been sold under sin, and he's in the bondage of sin. All you have to do is look around you today. Man is a rotten, corrupt sinner, and he can't do anything else but sin. And he's a slave to sin. Now, Christ came to pay the price of his freedom. And that's what the Lord Jesus meant when he said, If the Son make you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, here is something else that is quite wonderful. We are told that we have redemption through his blood. That's the price he paid. And Peter speaks of that blood. He says, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, the blood of Christ is more valuable than silver or gold. To begin with, there's not too much of it. What is it, three gallons in a human body? Or is there that much? Well, anyway, it's a, a limited supply, and that always runs a price up, you know, the scarcity of the item. But the important thing is that one drop of that blood would save every sinner on top of this earth if he'd trust it. And we have redemption now through his blood. And he saves us that way because he says, without shedding of blood is no remission of sins. That's an Old Testament principle. And it's applicable to the entire human race from Adam down to the last man. We've been redeemed now. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, that can't redeem you, but the precious blood of Christ. Now, we have also, in connection with this, the forgiveness of our sins or our trespasses. Now, forgiveness, therefore, is not the act of an indulgent deity who's moved by sentiment to the exclusion of justice and righteousness and holiness. Forgiveness depends on the shedding of blood. It depends on the payment of the penalty for sin. Now, I think right here we ought to learn to make a distinction. Human forgiveness and divine forgiveness are not the same. Actually, forgiveness means that you just send it off or away. Actually, 
That means that you just mark out the account. Now, human forgiveness is always based on the fact that a penalty is deserved and that the penalty is forgiven. May I say to you, divine forgiveness is never that. It always means there can be no forgiveness apart from the execution of the penalty. In other words, human forgiveness comes before the penalty is executed. And divine forgiveness, the penalty has to be executed. You know, that is something that it's too bad that our entire legal system that has bogged down today and we're living in a lawless nation where it's not safe to be on the streets of our cities at night. Why? Because of the leniency on the part of certain judges throughout this land. And as a result, well, we're in a bad way. And they think that it's easy to sit on a bench and you feel big-hearted if you tell a criminal that you're free. But the penalty, my friend, has to be executed. The very interesting thing is I heard a judge make this statement. He says, well, if God can forgive, then I can forgive. I want to say something. God paid the penalty. Is that judge willing to go and pay the penalty? I don't think you have any right to take men out of death row unless you're willing to take their place because a penalty must be executed. And God forgives on the basis a penalty has been executed. When was it executed? when Christ shed his blood 1,900 years ago? Sure, that's not aesthetic. That doesn't appeal to the refined nature of civilized man today. Of course it doesn't. But his sin doesn't seem to be so bad. That's sophistication. That's because he's a suave individual and clever. My friend, he's a lost, hell-doomed sinner. And God cannot forgive until the penalty has been executed. And that penalty has been executed. And that's the reason that right back to back in the Word of God in the New Testament, when you talk about forgiveness, the blood of Christ is put there. It depends on the blood of Christ whether you are going to be forgiven or not. That's how valuable the blood of Christ. I said it last time. I say it again. Come to God as a nobody. And let him make you a somebody. He can forgive you your sins because he paid the penalty for your sins. And that's the only way that you and I today can have forgiveness of sins. Now, will you notice what he says over in Acts twenty-six, eighteen? I'd like to read that for you. Paul is giving here his testimony. And he said that he was sent to the Gentiles to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that's in me, that is, in the Lord Jesus Christ. May I say to you that forgiveness depends on what Christ has done for us on the cross. Notice Luke 24, 47. And again, here the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, and that repentance and remission of sins. And remission, here's forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, 
beginning at Jerusalem. Your witnesses are these things. Now we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Paul says it again in Colossians 1:14. Now the shedding of the blood of Christ and his death is the foundation for forgiveness, and without this, sine qua non, which means without that, nothing. Nothing. God cannot forgive you until the penalty has been paid. Thank God today the penalty has been paid. Now, Paul put it like this in Romans 4.25, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And that word offense is the word for sins here. You have forgiveness of sins. That's the word that's used for Adam's transgression, you see here. And we are told, who was delivered for our offenses, was raised again for our justification. And so that the entire list of sins which is chargeable to man are forgiven on the basis of the blood of Christ. Christ bought the church foul that he might make it fair, is the way Augustine put it. And this, by the way, is according to the riches of his grace. Now, that's an interesting expression. He doesn't say, out of the riches of his grace, but it's according to the riches of his grace. Let me illustrate the difference there. I read many years ago that when the late John D. Rockefeller played golf down in Florida, he always gave the caddy a dime. And I always felt like that almost broke the man each time to pay out that handsome sum. But you see, he didn't give according to his riches. He gave out of his riches. And I do believe he could have made it a little bit better than that. But he gave out of his riches, not according to his riches. Say, if he'd have given according to his riches, the caddy would have been rich. Well, you see, God has given according to the riches of his grace. And friends, we haven't come to that word grace yet that we're going to deal with, but God's got a lot of grace. (laughs) He's rich in it. And he is willing to give according to his riches of his grace. Oh, he has had to bestow so much on me, and he's got enough left for you. And you, and you, way up yonder at the North Pole, we're on a station up there. It must be cold up there. But God's grace is rich up there. And then way out yonder across the Pacific, some of you hear this message. God's got, oh, he is rich in grace. He has enough for you. Just come to him. We can find grace to help. God's rich in grace. He can save you and he can keep you. Now, that's the first thing. Say this is a rich epistle, is it not? Now we take our next step here, and we come to verse 8 and 9, which he caused, or he made to abound toward us, having made known unto us in all wisdom and prudence the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. Now he's not only redeemed us through his blood, but he's revealed the mystery of his will. Now, that's a very important thing that we have here in these two verses. 
and we want to look at these two verses here. But we're not going to have time to get very far in this. In fact, it's going to be a mystery till next time. But here we see that Christ not only has redeemed us, but he's revealed to us the mystery of his will. Now, what is a mystery in Scripture? Well, a mystery in Scripture is not a whodunit. It's not a mystery story. It's not something that you wonder about who did it. And after all, it was the butler that committed the crime. Something like that, you know. But it is something altogether different. But we're going to have to wait till next time. But we want to see that because it's something quite wonderful. May God bless you. find out more about this ministry and the resources we offer to deepen your study of God's Word, call us, 1-800-65-BIBLES, the number, or always you can visit our website, ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, praying for you to grow in grace and mercy as you walk with God today. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.